Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. It's a Dapper Devil production, see? All right, friends, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Glee. Glee. Aggressive. Aggressive. Yay. Yeah. Um, my name is Karina. My name is Ian. And welcome back. Uh, we are here today to discuss season one, episode nine of Glee. Yeah. Uh, entitled Wheels. I just have in all caps, Wheels. Wheels. Um, this originally aired November 11th of 2009, getting close to Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> um, and we immediately start with the narrator saying, here's what you missed last week, but it's a flashback from like the third or fourth episode with Bert and Kurt. Yep. Um, definitely not last week, y'all. Nope. Um, so we do our little recap. Um, we're, we're up to speed. Uh, we're not going to do the recap for you because there's other episodes of this podcast and a whole show to watch on Netflix. Yeah. Figure it out. You just probably watched it. Um, yeah. And we start on the Cheerios. We're doing some cheerleading today yes um this pretty awesome jump rope number 20 percent of my notes here are from my roommate because she wrote or she said right away this jump rope number walked so legally blonde could run honestly um, even though like the timeline is strike that reverse it but still was there a jump rope number in a legally blonde movie i don't think the movie because like the whole act two opener of legally blonde is the um um, oh god, what's her name? The Delta New, who's not Elle Woods, that's on trial. Oh god, what for is killing, her name? For maybe killing her husband. Fuck. Oh, this is gonna bug the shit Brooke out of... something? Yes, I think it's Brooke... Brooke. Is it Brooke Wyndham? It's Brooke Wyndham. Okay. So... Because I know that's the opener in the musical. Exactly. An, um, an iconic number. It was. It's great. It's a great fucking number. <laughs> Should we just um, talk about anyway... Legally Blonde the musical for the rest of this hour? I mean... I mean, we could. We totally could. Um, God knows we've made a podcast about it before. Um, but no, instead, it's it's a nice jump rope number. You love to see it. Yeah. They probably did get it from Legally Upon the Musical, didn't they? I wouldn't be surprised. I bet they did. And then we, like, pan over to Quinn being sad. Well, also, my note in here is, so we see a bunch of male Cheerios. Yeah. Like, the Cheerios contingency has, like, a solid, like, male roster yeah. And I'm wondering, like, are they being teased? Are we not seeing them being teased? No, I bet Cheerios has enough, like, social cash that you're cool, even if you're a dude Cheerio. Okay, sure, I buy it. Um, but yes, we see Quinn watching practice all sad. Um, I still love her. Yeah, my first note is honestly just, I love seeing Quinn outside of Cheerio's uniform. Yeah. Like, I like how they styled Quinn. Yeah, um, I do she too. She got a very like like a lot of sundress, a lot of cardigan. Looks like someone who would be part of the Chastity Club. Like, let's all be yep. real. Yep. Um, but I think it's fun. I like seeing her hair down. I like her, you know, a little like sad. Right. I mean, like, there's definitely like nice layers to her character where like we yes. see her very much like broken down at this point. Um, um, and then my note is, how does insurance work when you're hiding a pregnancy from your parents? That's what I was wondering. I had the same <laughs> note because Finn comes in and, and Quinn is like, here's a nearly $700 bill for a sonogram. Which I buy, to be honest. Which I buy because American healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, especially before the Affordable Care Act was passed. But that's another right. podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, um, presumably, Quinn looks like she comes from an affluent family. They must have... 
health insurance, right? Like, it's, I, I could, ass- I assume they do. Like, but can you not like claim it if she was like, I don't want my parents to find out about this, so don't bill this I, to insurance. I don't know. I can only imagine that that's the case. But again, we're splitting hairs here on Glee. So <laughs> I just, I was just sitting there thinking about like, well, what about the like, how is our insurance covering this? Is it is that out of pocket? And I was like, these are not the questions Glee wants me to be asking. <laughs> I'm, I'm just imagining like. 15 year olds in illinois watching this and being like yeah but what's her deductible oh god yeah does she have a copay what's the premium on this plan that's what ryan murphy's um goal was exactly the show was all coded to be a discussion on the flaws of the american healthcare (laughs) system oof um Um, anyway so she's like finn get a job and finn is like i'm too tall to be a bus boy (laughs) i wrote that down I went to Olive Garden, but they told me I was too tall to be a busboy. Oh, lordy. <laughs> Which, like, what does that mean? But also, I 100% buy it, because you know we were out to eat at, like, a, an Olive Garden, and a man that tall came up to bust our table. As soon as he left, we'd all be like, what the, the fuck, fuck was, was that, that guy? Guys? <laughs> guys, he was so tall. Y'all saw that, right? <laughs> and if that's not what Olive Garden wants, no, they're Olive right. Garden, yeah, they just want to serve us endless breadstick soup and salad. God, they do, and they don't want an incredibly tall man there while they do it. Oh my, and now I'm just also imagining, like, all of us in college going to Olive Garden, but Cory Monteith is just watching us eat. Like, eight of us piled into a booth. I would be like, we have to go this incredibly (laughs) tall man with a thousand yard stairs watching me eat fettuccine Alfredo and I need to leave. (laughs) So, I guess what I'm saying is Olive Garden was right to not hire him. (laughs) Short story long, um... Then we get, um, they finish this number, and, uh, it's a great number. This, it's a great combination, and Sue Sylvester just goes, mediocre, hits the shower, hit the showers. Yes. And then my favorite little detail of this whole episode was that there was someone designated to take the bullhorn from her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Sue Sylvester does nothing with her own hands if she doesn't have to. Exactly. Um, they she are also, a well-oiled machine. They are. And at some point she also says, this is Ohio, and I'm like, she said our thing. I was like, oh my goodness, did I subconsciously take that from Sue Sylvester? Probably. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and I don't even remember, like, what the context of this section was. Like, she might have been in a completely different conversation, but... Oh, it was with Jacob Ben Israel. Yep. They're in the hallway, of course. Fuck this Jacob Ben Israel guy. I hate him. Yeah. I don't like that he is just sitting in on practice. And then he's interviewing Sue Sylvester, and Sue Sylvester at the end says, by the way, this is all off the record, takes the recorder (laughs) off of his hands, and I was so happy about that. Yes, Sue Sylvester, yeah, this is all off the record, I probably should have told you before, and just takes his recorder. Um, And she's right. Yeah. Uh, Journalism ethics aside, I think, I mean, Jacob Ben Israel certainly doesn't believe in journalism ethics, so. Right. Then we're still in the hallway, and it's Sue and... His name is Figgins or Higgins? Figgins. Figgins. And apparently, like, we learn how the budget finally works. We finally learn that there is barely a school budget, but the Cheerios have, like, independent sponsors. Right. Which is why they can afford, like, the European dry cleaning and all these buses and all of these, like, fancy um, amenities that let, while, meanwhile, the quote was, like, they have to cut the Athletic Cups budget. Right. They can't even afford protective cups for the baseball team. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which is the upshot of this is that Glee has no money, which we all know because that's been the plot for nine episodes now, and yep. specifically that they cannot afford a bus that can accommodate Artie's wheelchair. 
to right. travel. Now, first of all, I take many issues with this. And I guess I sort of address it later. Um, but that I f- feel like then they're breaking ADA standards because they sh- I think they need to be able to accommodate getting Artie to and from school. 100%. And, like, they talk about later, like, hey, did you know there's only one handicap ramp in all of the school? And it becomes a bigger thing. But I'm like, I feel like they need to legally have a bus that can accommodate him. That's a great point. And also, like, you, we, we learn later on that he's not the only kid with a wheelchair in the right. school. Not so that like, we'll ever see any, but... Right. So, like, what's going on there? But regardless, they can't get one for Glee Club. Right, and that's kind of, like, the stakes of this episode. Like, Shu has to find a way to pay for the bus. Yeah. Um, but he goes to tell his fellow Glee Club members that we need to do this. And... Ever, and no, it was before that. Okay, so first... Figgins says to this, like, it's fine. Artie is used to overcoming challenges. And I was like, oh, that sentence made me not feel good. No, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, they talk a lot about what Artie... Many characters, both Figgins and Will, talk a lot about what Artie is feeling. Um, They talk about what Artie is feeling a lot more than Artie talks about what Artie is feeling in this episode. And then even then we go to the Glee Club, and um, she was like, we need to raise money for a bus for Artie. Mm-hmm. Like, she was, like, being oddly, like, I guess altruistic, maybe, given, like, yeah. his track record. But everybody else is like, no, we don't need that. I don't get it. And I'm like, dude, you're the ones that in a previous episode was like, no, we're a family. We stick together. Right. And now you're like, um, it's fine. Artie's dad can just drive him like everything else. And I'm like, right. I... What? No. I'm... Also, the reason there's so much like, Ugh, it's fine, Artie can just drive him, is because Will was like, we need to raise money, let's have a bake sale. And for some reason, a bake sale is the end of the world to these kids. Everybody hates the bake sale, and I'm like, why? It's, it's such a... an easy thing. You go home and you say, Mom, there's a bake sale, and your mom either goes, oh, okay, we'll make some brownies, or, ugh, don't feel like it, let's run down to the stop and shop and buy some and brownies. And buy some brownies. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's literally the easiest thing in the world to have a big sale, and it doesn't even... It's not an uncool thing. You know it's what? not. You know what every high school kid likes? Fucking sugar. <laughs> everybody, everybody in high school is up at the crack of dawn in the morning, would love maybe a little bit of a sugar rush at, l- rush at lunch to get them through the rest of the day. If I walked into school at 10 a.m., I could buy a cupcake for a dollar. You know I'd be all over that shit. Yeah, even but in whatever. high school... Bake sales are the nightmare of McKinley High. So we're, and like in all this, like there's still more like special, uh, special bus mar- remarks and that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I, also apparently like, A, the bus rides were the best part of the experience, which like that's sad. <laughs> B, they, <laughs> I, I, I love this detail that Will had a, a Cumberbund bake sale in his day. Which to me is just the most bonkers Magoo thing. Right? I wrote down basically, I'm like, Will, if the bus ride was the best part, I think you're doing it wrong. Right. Like, Which... I, I get about camaraderie, but... This fun. is the saddest part of that. It's like, clearly he doesn't have a whole lot of friends, mm-hmm. which is sad. Mm-hmm. But also, like, we're doing Glee Club and um, we're doing a new number for nationals. So, okay. First of all, it was for sectionals. But second of all, how far away, like, I was so confused on the timetable, 
Because how far away is sectionals if they're still adding numbers, but mm-hmm. also they're already to the point where they need to start arranging their transportation? Like, Ooh. I feel like they should be pretty locked into a set list by now and know what they're doing. A hundred percent. Uh, and but you know what? They're adding a new number because the judges need something that they'll recognize, and judges only know show tunes. Which so is what like, do they pick? Defying gravity. Ba-ba-bum. Um, we've touched about this in episode five, but of course that this does confirm the existence of Wicked in a world where Kristen Chenoweth is April Rhodes. This is like we need like a third party guest to come on. And explain all of these conspiracy theories out for us. Who's on the original Broadway cast recording of Wicked in the Glee universe? That's what I want to know. I want to know. Is, is it, it still Kristen Chenoweth? Or is it like, do they make up some other actress? Does Kristen Chenoweth and Rachel, April Rhodes exist in the same timeline here? Right. Do they meet, is it, are they going to meet face to face and have like a Barbie princess and the pauper moment? Oh, I'm glad you went with princess and the pauper because I was like, are they going to meet and the world's going to implode? No, no, I thought they would just switch places like the princess switch starring Vanessa Ann Huggins. <laughs> That's better. I like that better. Yeah. So, of course, he gives it straight away to Rachel Berry because Leah Michelle and the whole Adina Menzel look-alike wicked of it all in 2010. Yeah. And Mercedes has the line, like, about, like... Chocolate th- thunder. Chocolate thunder. And this needs some of my chocolate thunder. Uh, poor Amber Riley. And Will has the worst possible response to that. I wrote it down because I just wrote yuck after it, which he says, okay, well, I hear you, but um, fuck you. We're not going to do that. We'll find something for you to dip dip in chocolate lane. And I went, oh, yuck. Oh. Yeah. Will's just like, no, this is, I brought this in for Rachel and it's only for Rachel. End of story. Um, (sighs) Interestingly, fun fact, that this Defying Gravity plot line is I think ripped straight from Chris Colfer's life. Like, really? In yeah. Oh, cool. Like in high school, he wanted to sing. I think literally defying gravity. I don't even think they changed it. Um, and he wasn't allowed to because it is a traditionally female song, and he's a boy. So right. they literally took this from his life, and Ryan Murphy wrote it into the story for him. So like that does give it a little bit of interest that it isn't just something that. Like, it's based on true stories, so that's yeah, kind of interesting, but... that's cool. Um, also, Brittany and Santana finally have lines, even though they're trashing right. the bake sale. And then my final note on the scene is, none of this is cool, justice for Artie. Yeah, Kevin McHale does some top-notch face acting in this part, where he's like, no, it's fine, like, I understand, it's fine... But you can yeah. see uh, every ounce of sadness in his face. I totally have this somewhere that it's like, despite having an able-bodied actor mm-hmm. play a disabled character or a character with disabilities. Yeah. Kevin McHale is just wonderful in this role. Yes. And like, also, uh, we'll come to it in a second, but, like, he's very mobile in that wheelchair. Like, he must yes. have put a Like, again, not the right solution, but Kevin McHale must have put in a lot of work to be able to be that maneuverable in a wheelchair for I, this role. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure we could look that up somewhere. Um... But then he has his own solo number, Dancing yeah. With Myself. It's kind of this, like, folksy remix of it, which my, I really loved. It was so My close caption said a jazzy cover of Dancing With Myself. Yeah. This is um, the first like, time they really transform a number, because everything else has been p- 
pretty true to the original, maybe more like show choiry, but they really like this is a different arrangement entirely. Absolutely, and I thought it was a really great theatrical moment for him because you kind of see like a look into his personal life for the first time. Mm-hmm. You see that he has like this massive crush on Tina, yeah. which is wonderful. I have Tina and Artie. Tardy? Tardy, that's what they call it. Oh god, I'm like I'm really proud of myself for like for catching that. Um, you did it. You portmanteaued. Thank you so much. And I'm wondering, like, did he have to stay in the wheelchair for this? Or could this have been a fantasy moment where, like, in this, like, non-diegetic version, they he gets out of the chair and is able to sort of, like, live a fantasy in a way? I don't know if that's right, but... I think for this episode, because the focus is not about him wishing he wasn't in his wheelchair, it was more about him wishing that his school and his friends were willing to accommodate him in his wheelchair like it's not already saying i wish i wasn't in this wheelchair because then things would just be fixed it was i wish you would understand that i am in this wheelchair and i need some things need to happen differently in order for like i deserve to participate in all the same ways you do despite the fact that i'm in this chair so keeping in the chair for like is the show showing that he can do all the same things as, like, Rachel can do when she's performing a fantasy number, even though he's still in this chair. Sure. So then we go back to the Glee Club rehearsal, um, and my roommate says, what's going on with the headband, Kurt? Yeah. Um, what is going loud. on with the headband, Kurt? And then, so he speaks up, and um, he's like, I want to try out for the Wicked solo. And she's like, no. No. And then there's, like, there's like a little bit of, like, jabber just kind of going on behind him, and I just hear someone go, you tried. It was, it was, my caption said it was Mercedes who and I had tried. <laughs> I love that. It was wonderful. I like, um, this whole thing, Will was so fucking weird in this episode. Yes. Because he was like, he was both like on a tirade for fairness, but also like super dismissive because he was so dismissive of Mercedes when she was like, hey, um, can we not be Rachel again? And then he was so dismissive of Kurt to be like, no, we're not even. It's like, this was for Rachel. And he didn't, but he didn't outright say it. He didn't come in and say, hey guys, I'm going to be, I'm adding a solo for Rachel because I think it will do well at sectionals. He was like, we're adding a solo and it's going to Rachel. Big old side note that I probably could have said like seven minutes ago. Like this episode could have been like, hey, we're doing Defying Gravity. Amber Riley, show us what you got. She does the thing, they win sectionals, and done. We're out of here in 10 minutes. Like, I'd be fine everything. with that. Yep. Um, but it's not, so we're not. Yeah, and but then Will's also trying to be like, but we have to be fair about things, so we're going to learn about feelings today in wheelchairs. <laughs> uh, and, like, I mean, he's right because everybody was being a dick. Yeah. Like, of course, Artie wants to be on the bus with everyone. Like, this is, like, the most not ableist we're getting so far. Yes. Um, the bar's low, but yes. The bar's low. Um, and... I love that, like, I, I just have a note here that's, like, Artie with the bars. Mm-hmm. Because, like, Rachel Berry says something along the lines of, like, we didn't think you'd take it personally. No offense. And he responds, well, you're pretty annoying all the time, but Don't I didn't think you'd personally. take that personally. And I was like, yeah, that's it, boy. This is when, for me, it starts to dip into, like, this is Glee's first real foray into, I feel like, after-school special territory. Sure. Where it's Will being like, we're all going to learn, and to learn, you're going to try to experience it. And then, also, like, the dialogue gets really after-school special. Like, Will is like, you guys never think for one minute about what it might be like for Artie while he's in a wheelchair. And I'm like, yes, I probably shouldn't 
I haven't thought about that. You're right. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, <laughs> there's some weird, slightly dark implications that didn't cross my mind when he's like, the nursing home was having a sale. And he wheels in like <laughs> seven wheelchairs. And I'm like, no. Well, what happened at the nursing home? Also, why do you have enough money for all those wheelchairs? And he also says that the AV club is helping him out, and I can't quite tell what they're doing other than wheeling the wheelchairs in. We have questions. Answer our questions, guys. Gleeaggressive at gmail.com. Who did Will murder to get all those wheelchairs? I want seven names of seven murder victims from Will Schuster. Or, uh... Allegedly. Topically, maybe perhaps a deadly disease ripped its way through the nursing home in Ohio. I mean... I mean... Um, before um, we before we move on, uh-huh. I had a question for you about music, Please. which is, so, in when Kurt asked to do the solo, Will says, "But Kurt, there's a high F in it. Can you explain to me the significance of a high F?" So uh, this might take a little bit because um, because <clears throat> there's a lot of cu- background on like this particular section of Defying Gravity, which of course I know because I was a 13-year-old girl when Wicked came out. Of course! Um, (laughs) So, and of course, like, I saw that show when I was 13 and immediately fell in love with Adina Menzel, went down a big old giant fucking rabbit hole and learned that. So, like, the last, like, minute or and a half of Defying Gravity, Elphaba takes it up that octave with, like, a, so if you care to find me, Mm -hmm. um... And that happens, that's, like, now in the score, that is, like, part of what Elphaba has to sing, like, in your audition, because Adina Menzel, in rehearsal one day, just decided to take it up the octave, and it worked. And so, like, that's now, I I guess, canon. Yeah. Um, So the significance of that is, like, that high F, that defying gravity, Mm -hmm. that's that note. Because, like, that's pretty much, like, all the nerds, all, like, the theatery, show-tunery, nerdy kids like me at 13 and even a little bit me at 29 and like plenty of my friends and colleagues and enemies and loved ones like when you look up an actress's like bootleg of defying gravity you go right to that climactic moment where she's singing that so if you care to find me and you want to hear that high f you want to see if she can do you want to hear yeah you want to see if she can do it you want to hear like is it strained is it healthy like is that like is she sustaining like what is going on there? Th- this is some dark theater nerd bullshit that I am pulling out <laughs> from over fi- from about fifteen years ago, guys. I, 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 I love it. Yes, I so love this. The significance of the high F is that that is like l- your literal money note, like mm-hmm. almost even more so than the whole like bring me down, bring me down, like all of that stuff. Um, and like, forgive me, forgive me, listeners. I haven't warmed up today. Um, <laughs> I know, maybe I'm not on point. I'm, I'm tired. Um, it's a Sunday we're, that we're recording this. Like, exactly. Come on. <laughs> Please forgive me. Look out for my new album. Um. <laughs> so, where were we? Well, basically, to sum that up, Idina Menzel ruined it for everybody. Yeah. By one day being like, I can do this. Follow, quick follow-up question: Can she still hit that note? Um, from what I know, probably not. Um, Mm -hmm. she did a lot of thrashing her voice, um, in that run, because not only did she do, she did it on broad, she did, like, the out-of-town tryouts, because then you have rehearsal for that, the production, it went to Broadway, so you have rehearsal and then performance, then of, like, two years in her case for that. 
So, like, it takes a toll on your voice if you're not careful, and, like... That's what I thought. Yeah, it definitely, like, took a toll on her voice. Um, And then she did it again in London when that opened up a few years later. So she's done the song a gajillion times. She still does it in concerts. Um, I don't know if she still has that note. She definitely, like, when given the ability, she sings Let It Go um, down a step. Yeah. Um, Which is just more humane, because even on Broadway, Let It Go is, like, modulated down for everybody involved. So... Again. A demon's all sidebar. Um, what did you expect to happen, folks? <laughs> I guess, it, I guess, like, it, it was coming. Like, this is something that we all could have seen coming. And there's, like, 25 people from the past, like, 10 years of my life that are going to be like, Ian, I did not know this about you. What is your fucking deal? Please. Um, so it was rare for a man to have a high F in his... Um, yes. I mean, there's, like... There, like, there's all different ranges for different people. Like, you have your Titus Burgesses and who, like, just have like this high registers these like high um even belts for dudes with kurt it sounds a lot more like falsetto-y like it's definitely strong but it's not the same as like you can hear it it's very different than what leah michelle sings and how leah michelle we'll get to that um but yes so for kurt to be able to hit the high f there is something that there's a little bit of like why uh will would be disbelieving perhaps right like no one really expects a dude to sing like above a high c Mm-hmm. Because like they're like I mean a science and biology and be like it's just it's just not why, a thing. Why would you need to? Why would you need to? Okay, well thank you for our musical theater interlude. Re- return to the Glee Land. <laughs> uh, I just literally had written in my notes high F circle and I'm like oh that's my note to ask you <laughs> to explain because they keep throwing out these these notes and I they mean nothing to me. I got you. Um. So then we go into. Uh, Quinn and Puck. Oh man, my note here. <laughs> I know I'm problematic for saying this, but Diana Agron baking. Yes, please. Oh. I am um, such a simp. Yeah, fair enough. Ian simps for I Diana Agron, and that's fine. I I do. She's cute as hell. She You're is. Not wrong. Puck is trying to give her like, here's my leftover pool cleaning money. Here's what's left after I bought the two things anyone needs most after you get disposable income, which is, of course, dip, which I assume is the tobacco kind and not the chip yes. kind, which is the wrong version, but whatever, and nunchucks. Literally, That's what it was. I forgot about the nunchucks. If you're like high school, if you're a high school boy like Puck and you're like, I have my own money, what should I buy? Of course you buy dip and nunchucks. Of course. Yeah, ugh, yikes. And then they talk and they fight for it's a while. It's really cute. Yeah, and then like, you I'm evolve just... into the classic flirty food fight. Right, which, like, there. the egghead bit was really cute. Yeah. Everyone wrote, LOL, cute, fine. Yeah, this um, is, like, they clearly have chemistry. But at that, this is happening in school. And if, we're, if we want to talk budgetary issues, they are throwing away money there. Yeah, you're telling me, you're telling me a school that can't afford basic sports equipment still has a functional home ec room? No, thank you. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, and then Finn, Finn walks in on something. I can't tell if he was suspicious or just confused. <laughs> Me neither. Like, truly, is this Finn being like, wait a second, why is my girlfriend having this flirty food fight with this other man? Or is he just like, we have a kitchen? <laughs> or like both? Right? Like, Did like he oh, know this is was... new and my girlfriend and my bro are fighting really close together question mark right like did he pick up what they were putting down i truly couldn't tell i have no idea 
So then we go to Bert and Kurt. We're at, um, this is at Bert's place of work, right? His yes, own tire so, shop? Yeah, he owns um, a Lubin tire shop. So, I mean, like, this, like, the Bert scenes were kind of weird to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know if it's just because I wasn't 100% sure what they were going for, but, like, he was kind of a dick. He says to Kurt, like, you sing like a girl, but in a good way. Um, I also wrote that line down. And, um, like, there's a part that feels like he's trying to, like, be, like, better about Kurt's sexuality for him because you can see, like, he's trying, he loves his son. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, uh, it's an odd but, like, not completely effective, like, equality talk in that. I took it as, for me, this really read as, like, Bert still trying to the best of his ability to understand what it's like to be a single parent to a gay son. Um, sure. Like, I think, it, is this it, is this the point where he brings up, like, man, I wish your mom was here? Cause I think so. I thought He I... says that at one point, um, and I think that really speaks volumes, that he's just, yeah. like, out of his depth. So, yeah, he says, like, oh, but you already sing like a girl. And you can tell he isn't meaning it. Like, he says it in a good way. He isn't meaning it to be an insult, but he couldn't think of a better way to say it than that kind of dickish way. Sure. Yeah, like... Also, Kurt says to him, like, when he was like, oh, tell me about how you're feeling, and Kurt says to him, I'm full of ennui. Um, I literally That's... say this all the time to the point where I double-checked. I sent Zach a message yesterday when I was, like, laying in bed, and I just sent him a message that just said, I'm full of ennui, and I hadn't even watched this yet to, like... That's just in my life that I keep... Oh, to... my God. That's also, like, my favorite, like, not, like, personal favorite emotion, but my favorite word for an emotion is ennui. So then, like, he compl- so he complains to his dad, like, I want to sing this song. It's normally sung by a woman, um, but they won't let me. So yeah. Bert complains to the principal. Fair. Fair. Absolutely fair. And then we go back to, like, Will is just conniving in this moment where... This? He throws down this audition gauntlet gauntlet, because, like, if we're going to be fair to Artie, we have to be fair to Kurt. Right. Which feels, like, I get it, but it feels like apples and oranges. So, this whole scene, I felt like Will was trying to, like, recognize that he did have sort of a double standard. But then, at one point, he says, like, He's like, you're right, I am, like, being unfair because I wasn't giving all of my students a fair shot, which, yes. But he then says, like, what well, I can't just give Kurt the song. Which right. is probably true. But he literally just gave it to Rachel. Exactly. And he In fact, literally she just says, gave... He literally just gave that Tonight solo to Tina. Yeah. Like, like, no one's ever had to audition before. It's just based on, like, traditional, like, roles that you would give it to. And um, if you still want to talk, like, parody here, like, Mercedes is still not getting a whole lot. No, Tina no. has barely gotten anything. Like, we still don't know who tonight ended up going to. They're never going to sing it again. And, in fact, they cut away to Rachel. Like, after he says, well, I can't just give this solo to Kurt. That wouldn't be fair. They literally cut to Rachel being like, but you gave me that solo. And I'm like, I mean, I'd, I do have right here add a tally to the Leah Michelle Glowering count. And then she says, like, the first thing that I was like, okay, I'm not quite as annoyed because this at Rachel Mary, because this line does read very much just like high school emotions, where she says, one day I hope your teaching moments won't involve you ruining my life. Um, <laughs> which, 
that line skewed right into the amount of like melodrama that a teenage theater kid would have so i bought oh, it absolutely i was oh, like man. oh you would believe that this is something that's ruining your life and like she didn't even seem excited to get this solo because like way back when in the beginning of the episode when will is like we're doing defying gravity kurt is like oh my god i love that song it means so much to me and rachel's like oh yeah i sing it in the shower and it's my ringtone of course I can do it. She's like, I, she's already over it. It's uncomfortable. Until someone else wants it, and then it's the, She's like a dog. She's like a dog mm. with a favorite toy that someone else is stealing. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, Will is trying, again, it's got some after-school specialness to it, where he's trying to teach everyone a lesson about being kind and fair, and it just, it's not always landing. Yeah. Because um, then we cut right to the principal's office. We got yep. Chu and Sue. Um, the they're having duo. this odd accessibility conversation. <laughs> oh, uh, Figgins says know. something which is like, ramps cost money, but inspiration is free. Which I'm like, ooh. Yeah. That's a weird thing to say, and it very much plays into the, like, the inspiration of, like, of people with disabilities being inspirations, not people. Um, yeah. Um, and so, like, now he has to hold auditions or um, rather, Sue has to hold auditions to replace Quinn on the Cheerios. And in this whole, like, equity, um, like, inspiration, accessibility theme, he insists that Sue look out for someone who will surprise her. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I will say, I love a good cheerleading tryout montage. Yes, oh my god. <laughs> well, because then they also mentioned, like, the female wrestler, mm-hmm. which was wild. Yeah, hell yeah, good for her. But then we have the bake sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bake sale. Everyone's miserable at the bake sale. And uh, But Brittany walks up with Becky. Yes. This is really the start. Uh, we They touched on it, like, a little bit in a couple episodes ago. Maybe it was Rhodes not taken that. But this is really the start of, like, Brittany's very dumb. Because mm-hmm. she said earlier, like, I don't know how bake recipes confuse me. And now they make mention of her cheating off of the test of Becky Jackson, which is definitely supposed to be implying that neither. She's, you, yeah. You, we all know it's so, implying it's not good. So Becky, and like, if you don't, if you haven't watched it or you're just listening and you don't know what we're talking about, Becky is a student with Down syndrome. Yes. She's um, played by Lauren Potter, who um, got the audition through oh what was it i i read it earlier because i was curious about do to do she was yeah she was 19 when she got it and she like got the audition through an agent who works with like actors in part of like an agency with down syndrome so a lot of people auditioned i actually read an interview with her for this because i was like i wonder what her experience was like and she basically said like it was interesting because while the cast and crew created like a very good environment it did feel odd sometimes the way that other characters would treat her as a character um mm. that that's the only time she sometimes felt like not great um which i mean you see that in the writing because yes. like because again like the like becky not becky um Brittany cheats off of her test right there's um, an implication there but to ryan murphy's credit I think he does an incredible job of incorporating um, actors with disabilities, whether that's mental or physical, um, into his shows. Like, there is an actor with Down syndrome in 
that is throughout the American Horror Stories series. Yeah. And, like, she's one of, like, she she plays some of the best characters. Yeah. Like, she's incredible. Um, Becky does feel like she was written to be a teaching moment. Um, which yeah. has its pros and its cons. Um, right. And we'll get more into her a little bit later as she comes sure. up later. And she also, Becky is not someone who's just here for this episode. She continues to be a mainstay in the cast for a while. Good. So, like, that does have, like, it is good to see that they chose someone who does have Down syndrome to portray a character with Down syndrome and who doesn't, for the most part, always, like, fit the stereotype of someone with Down syndrome, you would think. Sometimes to its detriment, because it's Ryan Murphy and it's Glee, and of course... They it's don't ne- have it's a, never 100% on the money. It's never not going to be unproblematic. And there's been a lot of things written about ableism on Glee. So if you're curious about what people who are actually part of that community think about these performances and you don't care about spoilers for the whole show, I would uh, seek those out. Look that I up, yeah. I couldn't find any that only exist addressed the issues in, or performances in this episode, so I don't want to like crack everything right. open. <laughs> Um, that being said, we're at the bake sale. Um, Quinn is, like, really hard on Finn in this because, like, yeah. he can't find a job. Also, like, again, there's no reason these shouldn't be selling because they're cupcakes. Everybody loves cupcakes. Yes, of course, put a jelly bean on top. They will sell better because, like, everybody loves jelly beans It's candy on as a well. cupcake, you fools. Come on. Yeah. Finn actually has a point. Yeah, everyone's, like, pissed off at the bake sale. I... I think this is the dumbest part to me because who doesn't love Big Sale and everyone's yeah. just in a bitchy mood. So right. Let's go to a cheerleading tryout. I love these. Which, I love these. This was wonderful. I like. I loved Mercedes's little combination. Yep. Um, Kurt can twirl a baton. Kurt can twirl a baton. Um, why does nobody? Oh, oh I, I wrote. Why does the white dancing guy have a do rag? No. No, indeed. Also, I don't like that he walked like a spider. Yeah, that was... At first, I thought that was um, Mike Chang. Like, just from, like, the spider movement, like, and you don't really get a good look at his face for a couple seconds. But then you see, like, that it's just, like, a really lanky white dude, and I'm like, this is uncomfortable. It's just some guy. <laughs> just some guy, and I'm guessing we never see him again. No. He, they can't even put him in the Glee Club. What the fuck? I know. Um, so then Becky auditions for the cheerleading team with her jump rope. Yeah. And she makes the team. And my heart fucking melted. Yeah. Will is all, like... Will is really prepared for Sue to just, like, rip into her. Like, he, like, yeah. talks to her, like, behind a clipboard. Like, you gotta be nice. And then... Right. Is, like, very shocked when she makes the team. And... Right. Shocked to the point where she thinks that Sue is, like... Up to something. Using her for a scheme. And, like, that, you, we see that throughout the rest of this whole freaking episode. Like, half of Will's game here is, like, I know she's up to something. Right. What are you doing, Sue? Um, but it's really, it's a really sweet moment. Um, yeah. So, Becky's on the Cheerios now. Welcome, Becky Jackson. Welcome, Becky Jackson. And cut to Puck telling Finn to man up in the hallway. Yep. And they have a wheelchair fight. Wheelchair fist fight. Two bros. Wheelchair fist fight. Two bros with a lot of emotion. That's what I wrote. <laughs> There's some emotional bros. In wheelchairs fighting. Yes. Um, and of course it's Will that breaks them up because is Will the only teacher at this school? Yes. Like, do we literally only have, like, one teacher, w- two coaches, 
and a guidance counselor and a principal. That's all we've ever seen. It's all we've ever seen. Like, where's the rest of this faculty? There is none. There is none. Um, and then Artie's teaching wheelchair dancing. Um, this seems like I, a nightmare. Yeah. I, so many wheelchairs on stage. So many wheelchairs. I didn't know how I felt about this scene. It was just, like, weird and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, then, of course, Will mentions mentions the diva off again, which they're now calling it a diva I off. Guess which I guess, is... yeah, I had the same thought. I'm like, I guess we're calling this a diva off. Yeah. Sure. And, like, I don't, I don't love that, like, and I feel like this isn't the first time we're seeing this, that he's, like, really pitting people against each other. Yes. Like, that doesn't seem healthy. And, like, I I know because I grew up in the same environment. <laughs> Will got one taste of competition with the mashup episode, and now he's like, let's put them out for blood all the time. Exactly. But then we have Tina and Artie. Yeah. Artie tells the story of, like, how he got paralyzed. Um... But he still has use of his penis. Oh, Artie, no. The dead straightness of the words, I still have use of my penis, come out of his mouth. I'm like, <laughs> yes, you're a teenage boy. You're trying your hardest, honey. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. Yeah. I like Tina and Artie. It was cute. I do too. It's a really sweet. Like, I really like that we're getting these two characters to have their lives. Um, yeah. Because, like, they just seem like good kids. Like, we don't have, like, the problematic natures necessarily in the same way that, like, Rachel and Finn are, like, right. at, at, at least fucking annoying. I had a lot of... There's a lot of problems in this episode, but I will give it points for highlighting plots that don't really... Most of its plots don't have anything to do with Leah Michelle, which is yes not often on this show. So I will give it points for that. Totally. Um, yeah. And then we, so then we go straight to, uh, Kurt warming up in the practice room, intercut with Bert's tire shop. Yes. Um, which is like this, it's pretty dramatic. Like there's definitely like the successful buildup of like suspension. Mm -hmm. Um, because Kurt is like singing, he's marking out the notes on the piano and he's like warming up, singing each note. He hits the high F. He's so happy. But at the same time, his dad at his place of work, gets a call from a stranger calling his son the F word. Yes. And which, which is just like I guess it's hard to imagine that that would be something that would happen because of like where like I grew up in my upbringing and the fact that it's 10 years away from that time now, but like I suppose it's entirely possible that to have an out gay son and you own a mechanic shop that some stranger would decide it's within their reasonable use of their time to call up and call your son a slur. Especially in Ohio. Yeah, that's true. Especially in 2009-2010. Yeah, so like, it's so unnecessary though. Like, God, imagine being the person on the other end of that line where you're like, I think this is what I will do with my day. What kind of sad fucking person is that? Uh, And then so like, that truly pisses Bert off. This is where Bert says that he wishes Kurt's mom was still around. She this was better with dealing all of this. Yeah. And I think, like, there's something really sweet in that. Yeah. Um, Because, like, he's admitting his limitations. And he knows that, like, he kind of needs his his wife around yeah. to help him, to help see them through this. Um. I don't yeah. know, like, I, I actually kind of, like, really thought this part was well done. 
I have the same thought that I really say, like, the Kurt and the Burt stuff continue to be the best written stuff on the show. And we've talked about this, that it definitely comes from being able to write more from experience, I think. Um, Absolutely. That none of the men who are writing the show know what it's like to be in a wheelchair or to be a black woman, but they do know probably, they, at least Ryan Murphy knows what it was like to be a gay kid in high school. Um, right. And yeah, I thought this was really well done because it's all again, it's Bert admitting that he's sort of flying blind here and yeah, that there's probably part of him that wishes he didn't have a gay son, but he loves Kurt more than he wishes that. Right. And he just wishes he which had is, the support. Which is very much like what he says. Yeah. Like, I, mean, I love you more than, like, I wish that I didn't have to go through this. Yeah, um, and, like, single fatherhood's not probably a cakewalk in general. And to add absolutely. on this, like, deal of trying to figure out, like, navigating your son's sexuality in a close-minded town, that's that's a lot for right. everyone. Yeah. And you can see their relationship, like, that like they love each other and that how much they care about each other on both their faces during this, too. A lot right. of good face acting this episode. <laughs> Right, a good, lot of good face acting. And then we have, like, at Finn and Rachel, in parentheses, yawn. Um, of yep. course, a female-defined gravity is more accessible, as yep. she says, because it's like, yeah, that's just what the song is. Like, no one's arguing with you. Like, I didn't need this bit. But, of course, Quinn comes in and gives uh, Finn the ultimatum about, like, you have to get a job because, like, mm-hmm. this is partly your baby, except it's not. Um, yeah. Which, like... There's a part of me, like, I totally get all of this, but there's also a part of me that's like, Finn knows that she wants to give the baby up for adoption, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I understand needing his help, but there's an extent to which I'm like... Is it... Should it all be on him? Is it... Yeah, like, should it all be on him also, like, especially since, like, he's never gonna get to raise that kid. I had the exact same note, basically. Yeah. We were firing on all cylinders. We were on the same page this episode. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. Because I was like, yes. First of all, even if she wasn't giving it up for adoption, it's this, like, Quinn falling very squarely into, like, gender roles that that the man needs to provide. And, like, because I'm like, Quinn, no offense, and I know you're pregnant, but, like, have you looked out for any other work or part-time job or doing anything? I was thinking that, too. Because, it really like, she's seems pregnant, like... not unable to work necessarily it really seems like she's putting all the financial burden on to finn um right who at best is not is is not smarter than a fifth grader it seems like (laughs) so it's i feel like is she being like in a typical adoption scenario i feel like there's assistance in terms of things like this right you would think that also i would say like i understand like the pressure that she's going through being a teenager her parents don't know like and she's still like the one that has to like grow this baby and deal with like the little pregnancy um like there's an extent to which i see where she's coming from also the baby's not really finn's and no one's told him yeah but it's okay because you know what saves the day drugged cupcakes marijuana cupcakes save the day again So, so like first of all now puck is dumb question mark because he doesn't know what babies inside the stomach need but also, he drugged the cupcakes by getting weed from Sandy. Yep. Because he's still around, in case you were wondering or in case you forgot. And But also, like, Karina knows this, and I know this, and a lot of our friends know this. This is not how edibles work. No. Like, you have to know that they're edibles to know that they're edibles. Yeah. Like, 
you can't like you're not just if if everybody if they're selling out the bake sale all of a sudden like something somebody clearly told everybody in the school hey there's drugs in the cupcakes pretty dope get them now we should all buy them yeah get them now but like you you <laughs> they don't sell themselves and like you can't just sell them blindly like yeah, because someone's going to eat one at lunch and they're not going to feel high till like, sports practice after school, first of all. <laughs> exactly. Which is, like, the worst exactly. time. Uh, and if there is, like, a drug problem with the school, then, like, we need to talk about that, too. But also, then again, it's Glee and we don't need to split hairs. No. I did ask, uh, because he agrees to... Ever- There's a lot of use of uh, wheelchair extortion this episode, which is also, like, uncomfortable. Uh, like, I, yeah. Yep. Um, but that Puck uses his wheelchair to make Sandy Ryerson believe that he was in an accident where the shark yep. severed his spine. Oh my god. That was so funny. <laughs> the shark severed I mean, his spine. That's why I don't go to aquariums anymore. <laughs> oh, that was great. So he gets a good deal on the weed, which is 20 cents on the dollar. So which is 20 cents for a dollar's worth of weed, which according to Zach is a suspicious price if anyone was willing to sell it for that low. Mm. And then I said, that's probably true, but it's also glee. <laughs> and we're back <laughs> so i guess um, it shows an entrepreneurial spirit you know puck has now twice had two home businesses that have really took off puck is a fucking hustler and i respect it next ceo yeah um, um don't mind weed it's time for wicked oh my god um we also have that little bit where shu and sue are like arguing is she sticking up for her or is sue truly treating her like everyone else yes oh yeah um, yes. So, yeah, we see Becky and Sue in, like, a cheerleading practice. Right, 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 right. That was that moment. So, yeah, and Will is spying on them. And Sue, like, does her... She does her normal coach thing where she's, like, needs to be better, needs to be better, needs to be yeah. better. And Becky ultimately takes it, fine. like, fine. Takes it fine. Like, yeah. Like, she says, hit the showers. And, like, yeah, of course you can tell there's a little bit more of, like, whatever softness means to Sue Sylvester. Right. And so that's where that note that I <laughs> initiated this with came from. Right. Um, well, because Will says, like, you can't do that to her. You can't treat her like that. And Sue is like, you mean treat her like I treat everyone. You're telling me to exactly. treat her special that's what that because is. Thank you. she has Down syndrome. And I'm just treating her like I treat everyone. Don't you think that maybe people with disabilities want to be treated the way right. normal people are treated? And I can't believe I didn't write all of that down because, like, I actually thought, like, that's a good point. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation about, like, a, an episode about accommodations because, like, mm-hmm. obviously accommodations are something that schools need to work on. But, yeah, in terms of, like, treating people as people you know it's it's a weird thing with sue because yes sue's whole thing is that she is just a bitch to everyone and it gets results and that's part of her character so will trying to be like you shouldn't be like that towards becky because she has down syndrome it's all again i don't feel well versed enough to be able to speak on it with authority but i feel like it's it's trying yeah in my 2009 headspace, I feel like this was probably something that wasn't happening on TV a lot and is probably would pass for as, like, pretty, like, oh, look at that. Right. And then, um, and then Sue ends the scene with, you don't know the first thing about me. Yes. And that hit. Yes. But then we have, then we have the diva off. Now it's time for diva. Why is the whole band here? Why don't we know anything about the band? 
I want to know more about the band. He'll um, never find out more about the band. Uh, I don't care about the song. Not like not that Defying Gravity is a bad song in any way. It's a great song. Like I, again, I was a twelve. I was a twelve, thirteen year old wicked stand. We all have had our Defying Gravity moment. Um, there's, um, definitely the not never to be released video footage of me and two of our friends. Uh, shout out to Sarah and Tina. Uh, on a overnight road trip, um, singing Defying Gravity in the car. And I, think I it was believe on, it. I think it was on Snapchat, and one of my other friends was like, hey, why'd you guys try to sing the hardest technical song in the world when you've been awake for 13 hours and driving yeah. through Texas? And I was like, yeah, you know. So everyone's <laughs> been here. We've all tried to hit the Idina Menzel note. Of course. And most and, like, of us haven't succeeded. Exactly. Um... And also, like, remember, like, the woman singing that song is doing that eight times a week. Gross. Yeah. Um, but back to the show. Yeah. The, like, these are two very literal interpretations of this song. Because yes. they're very much clearly singing about, like, how they are being, like, like you can't bring them down. Like, you can, like Shu, you can't bring Kurt down. Um, World, you can't bring Leah Michelle down. Also, Shu, you can't bring Leah Michelle down. This is Leah Michelle singing, not Rachel Berry. Like, that's clear, right? I, probably. Also, like, the lip sync was off at one point, and that was very funny. Yep. Um, my roommate counted Leah Michelle closed her eyes seven times during the course of the number. And, and considering that we're only spending half of our time on her camera-wise, that's really impressive. Right. Who needs um, to see? Not as much as we expected. Um, blind judging who's winning this contest, like... It's it's Leah Michelle. I know. It's Rachel Berry. Like, it is. I mean, right? like, what Kurt did is awesome and is incredible. And like, of course, like the whole the whole thing about this like whole like lore of the defying gravity of Glee is like Kurt cracks on like one of those high notes. Yep. But like, it's just so clearly like a, a song that Leah Michelle just effortlessly effortlessly. I know. She Nails. really does. Like, I was watching this, and I was like, oh, you can hear that this sounds effortless to Leah Michelle, but it does sound like how much Chris Colfer is working to hit every single... Like, and, yeah. this sound sounds like... This song sounds like work for his voice, and it doesn't sound right. like work for Leah Michelle's voice, and that's just and the again, truth. The, and it's like, yeah, that's just science. Like, yeah. Anyway. Although I will um, say, towards the end... I could hear every single bit of auto-tune on Rachel's, like, final notes, those final, like, last ones. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, the sad thing is, like, you can tell when it's auto-tuned to death and when it's, like, not as auto-tuned. I don't always hear it, but so when I hear it, I'm like, oof, that must have... Right. There it is. Um, then we're back in the hallway talking about pregnancy again. I guess it's... I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, now that it's been in the school paper or whatever, I guess it's cool. Everyone just knows. Quinn's sure. off the Cheerios. Who's she hiding it from? Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I didn't even, like, put two and two together on that one. But, um, people, like, I mean, Puck shows up with money. Like, yep. he, and of course there's, like, the, um, there's, like, this negative intent of, like, did you steal from the bake sale? And he's, like, people think I'm a screw-up, but I have ambition. And it's, like, that's clearly true. Like, he's worked all these jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, he, uh, made money to, like, help out Quinn because it's literally his baby and he's yeah. actually stepping up. And then Quinn is all like, 
mad at him about like you and finn are best friends you guys can't be fighting and it's like quinn you're literally what came in between them like literally even if finn doesn't know it yet like he you're literally like the sticking point here after the flirty food fight he must have like some inkling right An inkling yeah i hope so i mean like you've seen the show i haven't yeah. um um also he puck took this money from the bake sale which is means that he cares more about his unborn child than i guess the accessibility of his friends which is and saying it out loud i'm like saying it all i'm like okay i guess yeah Um, yeah like but like in terms of ethics (laughs) right in terms of like legality right but yeah so then like finn actually shows up in the wheelchair yeah with money and it's only 18 dollars but because he has a job. Yes. But of course he got that job because Rachel rolled him in on the wheelchair and said, yeah. you have to hire my friend because he's in a wheelchair and if you don't, that's discrimination. Troubling. And don't like this. No. No. This ain't it. No. no. Also, and- like, definitely not a good representation of what it's like for uh, people with disabilities in the workforce. Right. That's not how it's worked ever for them. Never. And, like... Of course, like now, like Finn is like, no, I have to stay. I have to stay in my wheelchair the whole time I work there, and it's like, ugh, that's, that's not good. And the job was never mentioned again. <laughs> I believe it. I one hundred percent believe that. Yeah, imagine being like, coming in and threatening someone to hire you because you're in a wheelchair. Like that just looks. That's a bad look, Glee. Yeah, but then we go back to the Glee Club rehearsal. Yeah. Or the Glee Club like convening. I um, mean, and we can do it. We can afford to send everyone to regionals. In the same bus. Uh, they do call it the short bus still. Which, nope. I was like, guys, I thought we spent this whole episode learning. <laughs> you thought. And then also, not only can they afford the bus, they can also get two cases of Natty Light for the way home. <laughs> and I'm like, like, I haven't heard someone talk about Natty Light in years, and I'm grateful for that. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, I had the same thought. Um, but yeah, like, and then Artie essentially, like, not that he turns it down, but he's like, we should use this to make our auditorium more accessible. Get a, a ramp for the auditorium. Right. Which, awesome. Like, he comes in with these facts. Like, he doesn't mind being driven. Right. Like, he's in by it his for, dad. He's in it for, like, the long haul. Like, he's like, look, thank you. I do want to experience this to you. And it means a lot to me that we, like, pooled together to get this. But like, if we're talking about the long run, it's better to make our school a better place for kids in wheelchairs. Exactly, which, like, he had a great speech on that because he, like we said before, he mentions that, like, he's not the only, this is where he mentions that he's not the only handicapable student. Yeah. So, like, what are these, like, it, like what are these kids doing when there's all school assemblies? They're fucked. Or they're having they're them fucked. in the gym. Um, you can't, you cannot go see a performance if you are in a wheelchair in McKinley High. Clearly, which is a bummer. And, like, not legal. No, not legal. So then we're, like, we kind of, like, put this, like, curiosity like this suspicion of sue to bed yes because sue actually pays for the cost of the bus it turns out yes and to and to add like a bunch of ramps around the school right so like she writes writes a check for like three more ramps and because she added the ramps for the school i think i think it was implied that she paid for the ramps around the school so they could use their bake sale money to get the Glee club thing 
just that's to like probably what it was. just to keep her on the side that she's not supporting the Glee Club. She is supporting kids in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah we go to like the big reveal of like why Sue Sylvester has a heart. I this was beautiful. Yes. Um. Something about it, and I racked my brain, and I couldn't figure out what like weird trope this hit for me. Like. This, I guess it really also falls into the after school special, like, the villain with a heart of gold, like, oh, here's her soft spot, like... Sure. It feels very early to be doing that to me, like, because up until now she's had no no feelings, basically, now she has all of the feelings, but this was very sweet. This, like, I mean, you know me, I don't get emotional at a lot of things, and I, I welled gotcha. up at this. This yeah. was, this got me, man. It was, oh god, like, I don't even have the words. Also, like... I think part of it for me is like my mom worked with kids for uh, kids with special needs mm-hmm. for her entire professional teaching career. Oh yeah. So the wor- I just know like the work that goes into that and like it's really, like, I feel like even to say it's admirable work is like so reductive of like oh, what yeah. goes into that. Obviously. So yeah, that was that just really hit for me and like that that made me really emotional. Yeah. Um. Holy shit. Um. <laughs> yeah, Sue Sylvester has a heart after all. She reads her sister, yeah, um, who is in this facility. Um, and she, re- yeah, she reads her Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, I just absolutely love this bit. Like, yeah, like I said, it definitely fulfills a trope for me, but I can't, I can't place my finger on which one it is. So. Sure. Yeah. Then yeah. we're back to Tina and Artie in the school at some unspecified time of day, based right. on the lighting in the hallways. For once, for once, a sensitive conversation happens in the hallway, but there's no one else around to And this to is hear their it. date, too. Like, What kind of date is this? I'm like, let's roll around like, the empty hallways it's like of our It's so high odd, but it's like oddly sweet at the same time. Like, Tina sort of being the one to like stick with her, or stick with him. Yeah. And like, I mean, Jen Ushkowitz like, does, does such a phenomenal job in this scene. Yes. And, like, but then we learn that, like, she's faking a stutter. Yes. So, this, this is, is really weird. weird. This is a weird turn for the plot to take. For me, this feels like it's the first, like, the downfall of Tina, where, like, they were, like, they had an idea of, like, a character with a stutter, and maybe they were, like, this isn't sustainable, or we don't have time to deal with this plot. Let's make it go away. And so they just had her be, like, Actually, I've been pretending the whole time. Because I have social anxiety. Yeah, and Artie feels, like, super betrayed by this, which is fair because... Because, like... I think I read it. I read, like, an um, interview with, like, Kevin McHale, who was like, well, at first I thought Artie was being rather dramatic. But, you know, he really did feel, like, thinking about it, that he did feel connected by the fact that they both, you know, ha- so, that they both had disabilities in their lives and that was something that they could really bond over and that it was important to him that they had both understood the experience and for her to be able to be like actually it's something I've just been able to turn on and off at my own will and I was doing it um must really hit different to him as someone who came upon like again I think the fact that he was paralyzed later in life at like eight years old probably Absolutely. also means that because it was he knows what it was like to that, have had the ability yeah to walk this is something that changed his life hugely and that he'll never be able to like he can't stop faking exactly being a that was of course that was it kevin McHale can 
stop faking being in a wheelchair at any time. But you know, but, you know for nuance, acting purposes. everybody. We're talking nuance. Yes. Um, Whew. Uh, I mean, yeah, this scene, this scene was a roller coaster. I enjoyed it, despite, like, it be, despite it, warts and all. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then we go back to Bert and Kurt, and Kurt explains how he, he, uh, through the audition, essentially to protect his father from being, like, this victim of secondhand hate, which was, like, a very, like, altruistic thing to do. Like, he, Kurt absolutely understands, like, what they're going through and, like, what the situation is here. Um, mm-hmm. so he's opting to do what he can to cause his dad a little less pain. Yeah. Which reminds me of a question for mm-hmm. you, which is, so obviously watching this episode, I've seen it before. So when I watched Defying Gravity, I had it in my head, like, so I could watch Kurt really going through the emotions to then realize that he's going to blow the note at the end. But the first time you don't know that. So did you like, could you see that Kurt had essentially thrown the note or did you think that it just had like i thought it was just like throws of puberty it, it yeah it wasn't happening I, like my voice you could argue my voice still hasn't changed but like my voice changed like for <laughs> over the course of like a decade so like it would wow. not surprise me if it was just like yeah kurt's 16 and like he his voice cracked it ain't in there it ain't there it ain't in there yeah folks. like that's like um, yeah he shows up to school the next day a base like you can go back and watch that scene and really see, again, the face acting in this episode. You can see, like, Kurt, like, thinking about it as he's singing of, like, if I do this and I sing this song at sectionals that I really am, like, opening up me and my dad to many hours of him being harassed on my... Is that your laundry? You my dad? <laughs> yeah. Um... Anyway, you could see Kurt... On his face, being like, if I do this note and I make it, it sing it at sectionals, that you're, I'm opening me and my dad up to harassment for who knows how long, right. and I don't want to do that. So you can see the moment where he decides he's going to, like, throw the whole thing. Yeah. Which is interesting. I mean, I feel like now I can go back and, like, watch for that. Um, yeah. Because, again, like, now that, like, I've had a few of these discussions, I'm kind of, like, looking out for, like, the problematic nature of everything. But I'm still very much watching this show at face value. So, like, I'm not thinking, like, oh, did he do that? Did he throw the audition? Did he do that on purpose? Like, yeah. I'll have to go back and, like, rewatch that. But then we have Rolling on a River. We close out with Rolling on a River. Proud Mary. Yes. Proud Mary. And my note is, is this proper use of Proud Mary? Right. But at the same time, like, I, they did a killer job with it. Like, they did. Um, their costumes are terrible. Um, but but here's the thing: the costumes are terrible. But Santana looks amazing. Quinn looks amazing. Yeah, I mean, like they got they can't miss. Of course, those two can like rock like the nerdiest fucking looks and look stellar. Um, here's what's left about this song: uh, the opening that Mercedes Artie combo, where like Mercedes <sighs> is killing it, and Artie's really got that like low the, notes like in the them. Bass. Yes. yes. Terrible uh. costumes. And then the nice thing about this is that there's not a Rachel solo in sight in this There's whole... not a Rachel solo in sight. Tina gets her moment. Tina gets her moment. A lot of Mercedes, which we love to see. We love to see. This song fucking slapped. Um, I have read that it was the most, like, terrifying number to choreograph and to, like, try to get these kids to perform. Oh, I'm sure. Because imagine if you walked in and suddenly, like... for rehearsal and they're like now today you're all going to be on a small crowded stage with multiple ramps and you're all in wheelchairs (laughs) right 
But also at the same Someone's time, like... Someone's cracking their head open. My my competitive brain was like, oh, this is such a good idea. Like, it's not a gimmick. Like, this could totally win at, like, in a competition. Oh, yeah. I will say I think it's a little bit of a gimmick. Like, yes, they do have one kid who's legitimately in a wheelchair, but, like, to put them all in... But it would definitely sure. get judges' attention. It would, like, yeah, like... Yeah, it's a like, gimmick with heart. That, yep, you you said it. You found the words I could not find. <laughs> and my final note is, guys, I love this. Yeah, this a great way to end the episode. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that one. A lot. Ha- so much happens in wheels. So much there happens in like, wheels. There's what, three, three and a half, four plots like happening because we have the Artie plot, which is a big like serious plot there's the quinn and finn plot with puck and then there's the diva off which yuck but the diva off is also about but yet i'm wondering without like spoiling anything does this move anything along because like this could have been an episode like maybe i'm not seeing it because i don't know the show Mm -hmm. but i'm also like is this sort of just exposition for what's to happen down the line. Ryan Murphy has been quoted as saying that this is a turning point for the show. Um, Did he say how? And I think I think what he means is that it becomes, like, the sort of serious tones of this show, of this episode, like, already feeling, like, cast aside by his um, fellow Glee Club members for them not seeing his disability and um, Kurt and Burt's, like, emotional moments, like, that here i actually found a quote uh, mm. he says certainly after this it remains a comedy and it's fun but writing this made me feel the responsibility of showing the truth of the pain that outcasts go through sure which is a lot to put on yourself ryan murphy um yeah you're right so like in terms of like major plot points it doesn't necessarily move a lot along with the exception of like like uh, the tina stutter uh, if there's, I don't remember if there's any fallout from that. And of course, moving along the Kurt, not the Kurt, um, the Finn, Quinn, Puck sort of burgeoning. Right. right. Like that, like that's snowballing more after this episode. But I think emotionally is when it's a big okay. sort of hit. Sure. Uh, I can tell you next week's is somehow weirder. So <laughs> I, all right. But let's talk about some tunes. Let's um, talk about some tunes. Specifically, there was. Three songs, we'll say. So there's three songs in this episode that you get to uh, pull out your wallet. So and you're going to add one of these to your commute playlist. And so the so the songs we're talking are Dancing With Myself, Proud yes. Mary. Technically Defying Gravity. And, oh, and Defying Gravity. Yes. Well, I, you can I, tell which one I'm not going with. I wonder. I haven't listened to it. I feel like they released Defying Gravity, and I'm curious... If he blows the... He must not blow the note in I don't think so. Actual. No, I don't think he did, because that was one I actually remember, like, even though I hadn't been watching the show when this, like, actually aired, first aired, Yeah. Um, I do remember, like, seeking out that audio just to be like, what, what did they do with this? Also, like, I was, like, pretty into Leah Michelle at the time just because, like, Spring Awakening was still pretty recent, like... Yeah, she was in her moment. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, if you wanted you could, to hear... Chris Colfer sing half of that song. I think they split it up pretty evenly in that. Right. But I feel like that's not what we're going for today. I mean, personally, so, if I'm going to spend the dollar twenty nine, I'm doing Proud Mary. Yeah. Um, I honestly think 
I'm gonna go with dancing with myself. I really love me some arty solos. That's fucking respectable. And, uh, for a long time, like straight up, I had not heard the original version of dancing with myself, mm. like the original arrangement. So this cover of it, it was all I knew for a very long time. Really, that's cool. Yeah, this is the first time I'd heard that song, and so now when I hear it not in this like jazzy, like arty way, I'm like, this sounds weird. What's <laughs> I feel What's like, weird about this? I don't know what song it was, but I've definitely had that experience, too. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the only version of that song that exists, so I do have to give it its props. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, boy. That was a hefty one. That was. that. That We got into it on this one. There was a lot to get into. Right. But that's to say, if you feel like we missed something that you we didn't cover in this episode, uh, get in touch with us. You can find us uh, on both... Twitter and Instagram at Glee Aggressive to send us your thoughts and feelings. If you prefer to speak to us in a longer form, you can always email us at gleeaggressive at gmail.com. We're eagerly awaiting um, your mail, both fan mail and uh, concerned mail. <laughs> exactly. Um, also, now you can tip us on ACAST. That is a fun yes. new little thing that I found out literally today. Um, so if you want to tip us, you feel so inclined, sure, we because because we want to, I mean, we want to create merch for you guys. We um, do, and we have some A-plus ones. We do. Um, but if you want to find Karina on the social medias, Karina, where can they find you? If you're going to find me, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm hanging out over there at Epic Adventure Of. Uh, we got a lovely selection of thoughts and feelings of my own there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lately, I've been in a, a troubling uh, One Direction spiral, so Again? if you want to see me lose control of my life for the umpteenth time, <laughs> there it is. Um, Ian, if they're looking for you, though. Um, I, though I lack One Direction content, um, I make up for it with, pro- I don't know, probably Vampire Weekend or Fiona Apple content. Um, mm. But you can find that at iBroski on Twitter and Instagram, and now Clubhouse, I guess. Like, I'm on Clubhouse. Ooh. I I don't know what to do with it. Um, tweet at me if I you have suggestions. Um, we're going to add the segment now. Um, yes. And Introduce a guest segment. Yeah, we're, it's, an, it's a guest segment, so we'll be asking our guests henceforth um, what they think on these questions. But um, is there a song, Karina... That you wish Glee had covered in its six seasons. Um. So interestingly, I have been going through and playing this mini game, um, which is where I try to think if Glee covered a song, or if I find out what songs they covered by an artist, I'll try to make people guess what like Glee covered four Taylor Swift songs. What four do you think they are? Um. Mm. And in doing that, I'm finding a lot of holes in them. Um, but honestly, I am most surprised and somewhat, this is, I'm going to be the most on brand. I'm like, no one's going to be surprised by my answer. I'm sad and disappointed that Glee never covered, I'd like to hear them sing One Direction's best song ever, Mm. which I think is their, one of their best, like, songs that would be most likely to be in Glee that I'm surprised wasn't in Glee. I get that. You know, I would, I would like to see that. And is there... It's just like a fun party song. And so. is there a song that you're glad they didn't cover? Um, I'm really glad that Glee never tried to do any of the like 
So this involves a slight spoiler, which is to say that um, it's not that Glee never touched Sweeney Todd, but I'm very glad that Glee didn't do most of the songs from Sweeney Todd. Mm, okay. I do. I don't need to see anyone in Glee pretending to be Sweeney Todd in any context. I agree with you. Like, like if there was every occasion where Glee thought, what if I have the, someone sing my friends from Sweeney Todd? Oh my god, that would be so dark. That that sh- that shouldn't happen, and I'm glad that Oof. it didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ian? Thoughts? Yes. Um, one song that I would like to see them cover, kind of on a similar note as yours, honestly, would be Shut Up and Dance With Me by Walk the Moon. Do you want me... Do you want me to tell you if they ever did that? I, I'm trying to remember when it came out because I know I know it was out like around the time I graduated college, but I know that was okay. They didn't okay. do it, so I would have liked to. That's also been an interesting thing of like trying to remember when right. songs came out. So yeah, that's I would. Agree. I feel like they could have done a fun like group number with that. Like that could have been some like fun like I don't know Finn Quinn Rachel Mercedes yeah. Puck shit. Like that could have been a fun one. Yeah, I could definitely see Glee, like, doing a pretty good job of What I'm one. glad they never got to do was Evan Hansen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're so because, right. Because, I mean, like, I love so much of Pasek and Paul's work. I, like, Evan Hansen is clearly, like, a great show. Also problematic, but that's another podcast. I can see. But, like, just the fact that it is so saturated within the social media zeitgeist. Yeah. Over the past few years... I'm just so glad that we're not getting like get Frankentine and Corey Monteith or like Kurt trying to sing Waving Through a Window. No, they'd give Just like running down the halls of school. They'd give Waving Through a Window to Rachel Berry still. They would they would. That's also the thing. It's like I you I thought it and you said it. Yeah, there's a lot of musicals that came out post Glee that I'm very glad Glee never got their hands on. Like a lot of people talk about Hamilton. We could do a whole episode like, on musicals that Glee would try to cover and f- why they would fail. Right. Um and and if you have your thoughts on this, again, tweet yeah. at us or email us cuz we want to hear everyone them. Everyone knows. Everyone today can see a song. Like another one I think of a lot is that I'm really glad Billie Eilish wasn't around when Glee was around because I don't need to hear mm. Glee sing a single Billie Eilish song in my entire life. No, so absolutely if not. If you have those moments where you're listening to a song and you're just like, thank fucking Christ Glee couldn't touch this, let us know what they are. Let us know. Um, But anyway, that's that's it. We did it. That's it. We did it. I'm, Bye. I'm now thinking too much about Billie Eilish and Glee, um, which I don't need to be. Um, so right. you know what? Take a breather, guys. But join us next week. Get caught up. Watch episode ten, and join us next week while we talk all about that one. Which does mean that Ian does episode nine make you want to watch episode ten? Actually, yes. All right. I want to see where they go with like this, albeit like <laughs> shaky inclusion effort. I want to see how we do. Make an effort, guys. Let's see how we do. Da, 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 da.